everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Scary movie love for scary movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show because we are talking about Gus Van Sant's 1998 adaptation of Psycho. For this discussion, I am joined by a shot-for-shot remake of Rob DiCristino. Hey, Rob. Oh, Patrick, are we starting? Hold on, let me go get my Walkman. <laughs> That's... <laughs> Uh, hopefully everybody's having a good scary movie month. Rob, how's your month going? It's good. It's good. It's going good. I like movies. I like horror movies. I like seven word reviews. This is fun. Funny you mentioned seven word reviews because uh, every day at fthismovie.com, people are going there and leaving seven word reviews of all the scary movies that they watch during the month of October. It's called the Scary Movie Challenge. And if you haven't heard of it before because you're listening to this for the first time because you thought, what did two people I don't know have to say about the 1998 remake of Psycho? Welcome (laughs) to the show. Welcome to the Scary Movie Challenge. We read some of our favorite seven-word reviews on the air, which we're going to do now. Rob, I will let you go first. Dr. Bob Roberts, MD, says on The Creature Walks Among Us, it does, and some lady fucked it. (laughs) Uh, Berman, Bierman, I think it's Bierman, there's an umlaut, um, says of Prodigy from 2017, Mark Jones' voice, make telekinetic psycho smaller. (laughs) <laughs> uh big boy recliner says of suspiria 2018 big performance tonight well break a leg brian sager of 30 days of night all my clever reviews are eight words <laughs> uh, uh, our friend eric asperslager says of the doctor's sleep director's cut i finally got three hours to myself <laughs> <laughs> yeah right that one is very relatable uh james Locke of satanic panic unbelievable portrayal of the rich too nice blaine higby says of veronica apparently glenn watches porn for the acting (laughs) oh veronica (laughs) did you get a chance to watch veronica oh yeah oh yeah oh is that is that part of your what have you seen lately or should we just talk about it now in as much as a person can watch veronica uh uh we can we can talk about it now if you want it wasn't originally part of my okay Thing, Did, we, you didn't have a ton to say about it. Is that was that what you're getting I, at? It, oh no, I have I I could I have volumes to say. About <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I think I phrased the question the wrong way. Also, did Veronica happen to you yet? Veronica did indeed happen to me. Yes, <laughs> um, it is something else. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I think here's the thing: when a movie sets out to do what Veronica does, I can't necessarily call it a failure. Okay. <laughs> like, like it's, it's, it's goals. It's aspirations were so sort of weird and niche that I, you know, the mystery girl, she has a mysterious face, I guess. I don't know. It's very strange. It's, it's, it's up there with, I, I I'm trying to decide if I want to go back and rewatch it just in that kind mm. of, you know, the room kind of like let's laugh at it but i don't know i, I don't know <laughs> I, I think i think glenn is just on another level than i am i'm, I'm not really sure I, I i don't know do you have more thoughts on it have you, have no, you no no i haven't rewatched it since okay. we did our commentary um i'd be hard pressed to watch it again which isn't I, to say I, that i won't someday but i don't yeah. see myself revisiting it anytime soon it's just one of those things where it's it's you, you genuinely want to know what 
like like what is his opinion of how it came out like i know you were because you were at the very first screening of it yes right? i and was you, you said that the audience turned on it pretty early but that he seemed like good-natured about it or he, or i'm trying to remember what you said was it that he didn't seem to understand what had happened or was he just being do you think he was just being good-natured about like oh they you know they don't they're laughing at it but it's one of those i and okay. i don't see himself i don't see him as a guy with a great sense of humor about himself so i'm surprised if he was like oh haha they're not crazy about it but that's okay i'm gonna roll with it maybe he just didn't understand or or he thought that they were laughing with the movie which isn't really funny it's it's one of those things where like you know like when trump tweets like something from the onion like it's serious and you're like now is he doing this on purpose to get a rise out of people or is he so far gone that he and that's that like lack of perspective that like i'm like that's where i'm at with with veronica or i'm like did did, did this come out exactly the way because i mean it's glenn danzig he's you know obviously following the rob zombie model of like well i'm a you know rock and roller i'm gonna make a horror movie it sounds great he must have had resources at his disposal you know what i mean he i mean certainly his vision is not as sophisticated as someone like rob zombies certainly not as creative but like he must have been able to do something better than this and chose this you know i I don't know yeah i don't know either I, because based on the finished product, I wouldn't say he had a ton of resources available. Well, no, but but I mean, he must have been able to like hire somebody talented to help him, right? And chose not to. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have anything insightful to say about Veronica. I just really I'm sorry about that. But I just, I, to me, it's just this fascinating, weird thing that just lives. Like it'll just live on Shutter, and I'll kind of like click past it every now and then. And be like, remember when that happened? Yeah, yeah, right, right. Maybe it's a movie that defies discussion. Maybe maybe that's what it is. Uh, but plug for our scary movie commentary. Yes, uh, this month. If you haven't gone back and listened to the scary movie month commentary, it's on Veronica. Not so much a discussion of Veronica as it is a series of cheap jokes at Veronica's expense. Uh, although we do try to find positive things to say about the movie, which you know make make you better people than me. Because. <laughs> Uh, all right, back to our seven-word reviews. Monkey says of the autopsy of Jane Doe, normally I'm against Cox out at, at, at autopsies, which is uh, <laughs> C-O-X, by the way. Uh, Ross says of Silent Hill, town's purge siren got stuck on repeat. Paul Calvert of Species 2, one of two Species 2 reviews I think I have. <laughs> um, came for Aliens, stayed for the lovemaking. Uh, Noel says of fear.com pairs nicely with your favorite Evanescence video. <laughs> uh, Rocco T of Prince of Darkness, satanic rebirth via unsuspecting housewife. Way easier. <laughs> Mac McIntyre says of Satan's Blade. Finally, a horror movie where everybody's horny. Daniel Epler has what might be my favorite of the month thus far for mm-hmm. Lucio Fulci's Enigma. And it goes like this. Enigma. Mr. A. Enigma. Adward Enigma. <laughs> Batman. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. I laughed so hard at that. Adward yep. Enigma made me Ad- laugh so hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Aaron Keith says of body bags. Never thought I'd see Mark Hamill's balls. Babadook O'Reilly of Summer of Fear. Cranked Craven Craven crushed on Cowgirl Reagan. There 
Very nice, very nice. Uh, Cullen on the pit and the pendulum. The back and forth here was amazing. Chris Cooper of Dracula's Daughter. I didn't even know Dracula had kids. <laughs> Cullen says of Psycho 2, if it's not one thing, it's a mother. Oh, very nice. Jeremy Wicket of Dominion, a prequel to The Exorcist. Can Rennie Harlan remake Schrader's Facebook page? <laughs> that was a good one. I saw that too. Alex O says of Wishmaster, more like stuff you sort of want. <laughs> John Curvan, here's the other Species 2. <laughs> species 2. <laughs> Oops, I accidentally searched Geiger on YouPorn. <laughs> Ronan C. says of the Neon Demon, small town girl cannibalized by Los Angeles. Mike Haler of Howling 2, your sister is a werewolf. Reb Brown gets upstaged by, well, everything. <laughs> Aaron Keith says of Cemetery Man, dick injection, dick rejection, then dick dejection. Oh, Todd Slade of The Guest. What if Jason Bourne, but a psychopath? Uh, Mike Haler says of Dr. Sleep Rebecca Ferguson to death sign me up <laughs> Matt Sollenberger of From Dust Till Dawn truly believe this is Keitel's best performance now Ooh. that one's not so funny as it is a, a discussion starter yeah yeah, yeah. yeah thought provoking is it I... Harvey Keitel's best performance I don't know um, I would agree with that uh, I think and as far as supporting roles go I would say that's probably his best one Lead performance, you would say? Lead performance, I would say probably Bad Lieutenant. Um, I like Bad Lieutenant a lot. Uh, it's been years since I've seen like Mean Streets and stuff like that. He yeah. has a tendency to shine in supporting roles, though. So I would, I would, I, I don't disagree with that at all. Are you taking Harvey Keitel in Bad Lieutenant or Nicolas Cage in Bad Ooh. Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans? Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans is a weirder movie. <laughs> I'm going to go Cage. Well, because that's Bad the correct answer. Even Mendes, too, right? Uh, it does, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you know, yeah. That's the tiebreaker. That answer feels obvious. <laughs> Aaron Keith says of Revenge, new dude pursued to conclude the feud. Our very own Michael Pomero says of Damien <laughs> Omen 2. <laughs> Wait, so now he's bigger? Mark Jones. <laughs> I had that one, and I was going to hope that you would read it first so I didn't have to do the bad Mark Jones. All right, William Smith says of The Cabin in the Woods, but when I kiss wolves, it's weird. Uh, Ronan C. of Beyond the Gates. Unresolved family issues? Play Beyond the Gates. <laughs> uh, let's see. Will Benson says of Starry Eyes. I mean, we've all been there, right? <laughs> I think I'm out. Uh, all right, I have a couple more. Okay. Um, Miko, Miko, Vinika, Miko, by the way, uh, are your weekly shout-out for being awesome and keeping track of all of the seven-word reviews on Twitter. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Miko. Uh, Miko says of End of Days, he's just an ordinary Joe. Joe Schwarzenegger. <laughs> uh, Joel Edmiston says of Possessor, which uh, I have not seen yet. Have you seen Possessor yet? I don't think it's out in the States yet. Joel's in Canada, and... We have not had it's played festivals, right? Um, but it hasn't I've, come out on VOD yet. But I'm dying to see it, yeah. I've been waiting for notification about this one. Um, uh, Joel Emmett says, A possessor Cronenberg, wonder if he's yep, definitely related. <laughs> uh, Ryan S says, Of mausoleum, scant mausoleums, mainly green eyes, possess boobs. Speaking of Veronica, oh, yes, very good. Uh, okay, a couple more. Kevin Weiler, Wheeler, Weiler, sorry, Kevin, says of Wish Upon, career counselor never mentioned dumpster diving saxophonist, <laughs> which is, <laughs> it's Ryan Philippi, right? Yeah. That is, that's his job in that movie. Yeah. 
Dr. Bob Roberts, MD, says a Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. And they fight. Nope, they go swimming. <laughs> and lastly, Mr. Adam Risky, our own Adam Risky, says of Friday the 13th, Mrs. Voorhees would have chosen an Arrow release, which is a nice comment on everybody's new Scream Factory Friday the 13th set. Uh, That's all I got. Yeah, no, those are great. Thank you, everybody. Obviously, we enjoy reading these a lot because I think I've read all of these already, and yet they still make me laugh when I hear them read out loud. It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> I do legitimately love, like I was telling Patrick off air before I started, I, one of my favorite things when I know I'm going to do a show is sitting down and like carefully reading them and weeding some out and adding some to the list and moving some around. And I always go longer, you know, because you know, Patrick, you get to do this, you know, obviously every week. But for me, I'm like, this is my shot. Let me let me make the best <laughs> of it. So I go all the way back to the beginning of the month and scroll through. And so it's much appreciated. Everybody's uh, reviews have been great this year, as always. And um it's 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 nice it's it's very nice i like this middle part of the month here because you start to see you know in past years i feel like we've kind of yeah the numbers go down a little bit but this year we've really been holding strong around the about 100 reviews a day yeah i'm amazed at everybody's ability to watch as many movies as they have been i've been much better in years past and the pandemic and never being away from my children is wreaking havoc on my ability to watch horror movies yeah, but uh, so keep it up, everybody. We're going to go into the home stretch of the month here next week. So, yeah. um, can't believe it's let's keep it up. Can't believe uh, there's only like a week left. I know, isn't it crazy? The month flew by. Rob, have you seen anything scary lately? So, I have a very Patrick Bromley answer to this question, which is that most of the things I've seen are for articles I'm writing yeah. or podcasts that I'm participating in. Yeah, uh, I yeah, wrote. Yeah. Adam and I just talked about our kind of favorites. Uh, I wrote a ton of reviews of the Nightstream Film Festival. Um, and I've been talking a little bit about the other stuff that I've seen in other articles. So um, the only things I'll really mention uh, are a couple of rewatches. Um, I recently, uh, today actually, rewatched Misery. Um, and I wanted to ask you, because uh, I got the new, well, not the new, but I got the uh, Screen Factory disc finally. Um, where does Misery rank for you in terms of King adaptations? It's high, but it's not a movie I revisit all that often. Where does it rank for you in Rob Reiner's film? <laughs> um, upper half for sure. For sure. But again, there's other Rob Reiner movies I would turn to sooner, even if they're probably not, the movies themselves may not be as good. But I think because, Misery, uh, for whatever reason, um, I think it's one of those movies that I just haven't seen recently enough to realize how good it is. Yeah. No, I enjoy it very much. And I love the, it's got that very, you know, starting to recognize the, the good, the good King adaptations of the good King stories, you know, the real good ones. I think yeah. misery is a pretty great one. Um, I love the, the narrative beats. I love the twists. I love the, the way things build. I love the way Rob Reiner structures movies. He's, he's a big, I, I like the way with misery, the way the first act, you know, there's, it's very classical in terms of its structure, you know, in terms of the story beats and stuff. And, um, you know, me, I'm a story guy, so I appreciate that a lot. But, um, I, I, I found myself this morning watching it and thinking like, does, does Kathy Bates, does she go too big? Is it actually too big? But I'm like, no, that's, that, that's ridiculous. That's the role. That's, that's what we're here for is her going big. Um, so it's sometimes it's weird to reflect on a performance from years past that obviously was incredibly, you know, was lauded at the time and as it should be. Um, but uh, I, I don't know, for some reason, I was like trying to 
find a, a, a critique, but I really enjoy it a lot. Um, There's a really but... good section in one of William Goldman's books. I think it's Which Lie Did I Tell? Where he writes about the making of this movie and how hard it was to find somebody to play the Paul Krenler? No. Paul, 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 Paul Krenler is... Paul Krenler is the guy who Hannibal... <laughs> That's right. Thank you. Paul... Is it Paul Sheldon? Sheldon sounds right. Ah, shit. Paul uh, Krenler. I'm, I'm Googling. Hold on. Paul Krenler. The Paul. James Conn role. Paul? <laughs> Paul Sheldon, yes. Paul Sheldon, okay. I'm surprised that I was able to pull that out. What if What if Ray Liotta was trapped in the bed with Kathy Bates? That, that would be a very different movie. Very different movie, uh, especially given the kinds of performances that Ray Liotta gives these <laughs> days, which we'll get to in just a couple of minutes. But... Um, yeah, just all the different actors who turned it down. Um, it's super interesting. So uh, this makes me want to rewatch Misery. Yeah, there's a ton of features on the, the Screen Factory disc that I haven't gotten into yet, but hopefully hear from Goldman on some of those. I need to get, I have, I have like two or three Goldman books and I, for some reason, just never, I need to just at some point just buy the rest of them because I love, I, you know, he's one of those guys, he, can, he, he reads so well. Yeah. He's, he's one of those screenwriters that actually, is his style is really conducive to, to books is, is this the only other is it this and princess bride that he did with reiner uh yeah is that it's just those two okay. i believe so they make a good team yeah for sure um i watched uh i rewatched nina forever uh which is a movie we talked about a couple years back um which uh, is a movie i still really enjoy i really like uh nina forever quite a bit i like all the lead performances um i got the was it dread central who did that double disc with imitation girl yeah yeah um great movie really fun little you know i think we've talked about kind of like a sort of like a chasing amy of horror kind of thing mm -hmm. um which is very very good i enjoy it quite a bit and then lastly i rewatched the perfection um oh, i, I saw I your to, seven word review for that yeah i said i wanted to kind of go back this year and and do some rewatches of stuff that i never you know saw and liked and rewatched um still really like the perfection a lot obviously i'm a huge allison williams fan um what do we think should be in the first 30 minutes of the movie instead of all the weird vomiting, pooping stuff? Because does the movie need that? <laughs> uh, I haven't <laughs> seen the movie since the night it premiered on Netflix. Okay. Because the first part of the movie obviously is the, is, you know, she comes back into the, the music scene. There's the seduction, they go out, everything. Then, then there's, they go, the girls go on the trip and then she starts to get sick. And then there's the, some twists that I won't spoil, right. but essentially the plot in the second two thirds of the movie is let's get revenge on the people who have wronged us. Um, and I was watching it again thinking, is this just an interesting plot device to get us to what? Because the gore is inherent in, it's hard to talk about because I do think the perfection is a good movie. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but I guess that's just the root of my essential question, which is do we need that? gross out stuff in the beginning i don't know really i'm thinking of what else could be there instead of that i'd be curious to hear more the, more love scenes i i mean i who am i to argue <laughs> um no i just very curious i don't know maybe maybe i'm the only one who feels that way i just it felt this time when i watched it it just felt weirdly out of place kind of like because i guess because i knew it was coming and i was like okay oh, i forgot about this whole like weird you know sickness thing like it was obviously I don't know. It was very strange, but I still really enjoy the, that movie quite a bit. So three three rewatches that um, 
are all three movies I really, really enjoy. Nice. How about you? What's uh what's like the best new to you movie you've seen? The best new to me movie I've seen. Um I really liked uh I really liked Fade to Black. Oh yeah. Uh, I talked about that with Adam yeah. last week. Um I really liked Fade to Black. I like I like Ginger Snaps a lot. Um The Howling Two is crazy. <laughs> Um, oh, what's your, what are your thoughts? I wrote about this with Adam, but um, Sleepaway Camp 2. Um, what do you remember of that? What are your, what are your thoughts on that one? I, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, I remember it being entertaining. I just remember not loving it because it's such a... such a, I, I, I prefer the original that kind of plays it straight. Yeah. Um, as opposed to the second one, which turns it into just a, a full-on comedy. But I remember it being very entertaining. I like that it kind of doesn't really bury the lead where it's just like, yeah, she's the killer. Let's, right, right, right. right. You know, I, thought, right. I, I appreciated that. So, And Pamela uh, Spring seems, seems to be having a good time. Yeah, that's, that's, it, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, I thought it was entertaining. I wanted to, I wanted to go back and, cause they're all on Amazon. I want to go and continue the rest of the sequels. I don't know if the rest, well, cause there's only, there's only one more. Yeah. They official. shot part of a fourth one, but never finished it. It got released somehow though. Didn't part. Of yeah. A part there was a, a box set years ago, a DVD box set um, called like a survival kit or something. It looked like a first aid kit. And there was footage from that unreleased fourth movie in that box set. Um, yeah. So I'll watch the third one and just see how that goes. But I, I just, for what it was, you know, I appreciated uh, part two. I highly um, recommend Return to Sleepaway Camp if you can find it. I don't think it's streaming anywhere, but it's Robert Hiltzik returning. Okay. And it's very much in keeping with like the original Sleepaway Camp in that it's a crazy movie made by crazy people. But it's not a it's, it's not a canon sequel. It is it? a canon sequel in that it, it ignores two and three. Got it. And sequelizes the first. So it's like Halloween twenty eighteen. Got it, got it. I will check it out. Which is the first uh, but, time it's ever been said about that movie. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'd, I'd say probably those. Those are probably my favorite ones. Um, what about you? Um, I rewatched Jennifer's Body, mm-hmm. which I hadn't seen in a couple of years. And uh, Twitter had me thinking is a misunderstood masterpiece because Twitter will do that to movies. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't feel that it's a misunderstood masterpiece, but I know that people love it and I get why they love it and I'm happy for them if they love it. Um, it's totally watchable, totally entertaining. I will say, and I'm not a Diablo Cody hater. I would consider myself a Diablo Cody fan, but I think some of her verbal gymnastics, um, bothered me a little bit in this movie and again she's doing it to a purpose it's like well she wants these young people to talk a very certain way um very much inspired by something like heathers and for whatever reason in heathers it never bothers me it it just i i feel comfortable in that world and i feel like it's a natural extension of that world and every time i've seen a movie try to replicate what heathers does it strikes me as artificial. It strikes me as a screenwriter trying too hard. And that takes me out of Jennifer's body a little bit. 
Um, obviously, there are lots of essays that could be written about what the movie has to say about female friendship, female coming of age, about the career of Megan Fox, about the commodification of Megan Fox. So I like that there's all this stuff kind of layered in the movie. I just, as a movie, think it's like, oh, pretty good. I have not seen it since the theater. Um, I would like to revisit it because I do hear, like you do, that it is kind of a maybe a misunderstood or unappreciated masterpiece. Um, I also am a huge defender of stylized uh, dialogue, um, yeah. even though I used to show when I taught film, I used to show Juno every year um, just as a as sort of as the first. Actually, it was because the textbook I used used it as examples. So I thought it was helpful. Um, but I, I was thinking about that with Diablo Cody and I, and. and I'm wondering when it, when it comes to the stylized dialogue and the stylized characterization, um, I do tend to always side with the writer on that. Cause, um, I'm a huge Aaron Sorkin fan. Um, and there's a lot of Aaron Sorkin hate on the internet this week. Um, <laughs> I haven't watched that I, movie yet. And I understand why. And I understand that Aaron Sorkin is a problematic guy in a lot of ways. And that the West wing is incredibly harmful to <laughs> actual political discourse because it's wildly optimistic and idealistic and blah, 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 blah. And I get it, but I don't care. <laughs> I, sometimes I want that. I want to aspire to more. So with, with, you know, Juno and Jennifer's body and I mean like young adult doesn't do that as much. Um, no, not at all. And Tully, Tully didn't do that. Does it at all. Yeah. And even in so Juno, it, in Juno, honestly, it doesn't really bother me because I think in Juno, it's being used to a point. It's this question of right. what kind of a person are you going to be? Are you going to be this question of sincerity versus irony? Because um, a lot of it's sort of performative, the way that exactly she right. Yeah. And and Jennifer's body, it's not. It's like it's everybody talks like that because that's just the world that the movie exists in. And again, for a lot of people, that's one of the things that they love about it. For me, it just pulls me out of the movie. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to rewatch it cause I have not seen it in years, but I will, in my head, I will kind of try to be, try to give her the benefit of the doubt. Cause I do, sure. I do enjoy that. Um, yeah. She wrote something else for, Oh, she wrote Ricky in the flash. Yes. Which I've never seen. I saw it. I don't, Totally. Movie. Yeah, I don't totally remember it, but I remember liking it. I mean, I remember it being a good Jonathan Demi movie. November first, I'm watching Ricky and the Flash. All right, nice. You're all set. <laughs> I don't know what I'm watching on November first. Probably Trial of the Chicago Seven. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Just to get that out of the way. Um, last weekend, Erica and I did our 24-hour movie marathon. We watched, I think, 14 movies. And a cartoon special, so closer to 15 movies. Um, There's only a couple that I'll talk about here. Uh, One would be that I finally revisited Let's Scare Jessica to Death, which I saw at a very, one of maybe my very first Music Box Massacre back when I used to go to 24-hour marathons. And the director, whose name I believe is John Hancock, uh, was there in person and kind of talked about the movie. But I could not remember anything about this movie for so many years. I remember it being very slow and that everybody else had gone to dinner during it. And only me and Erica had stayed to watch it. And I couldn't remember anything else about the movie except that it was slow and that it didn't seem to live up to its title. Um but I know that the movie has fans. I know Elric Kane has talked about it for years, how much he likes it on various podcasts. And so I was excited to finally revisit it. 
revisit it and uh <laughs> it uh it was a lot better than i remember it's it's like barely a horror movie it's just kind of a creeping dread kind of a movie so if that's your bag it's definitely the movie for you there's talk that it is maybe a vampire story because a little bit of lip service is paid to the idea that one of the characters is a vampire um it doesn't really play with any of the vampire conventions outside of that, so I'd be hard-pressed to call it a vampire movie. Um, but it's really interesting and really kind of moody. Um, it played well in this kind of a marathon setting because of how different it felt from everything that surrounded it, and it was just a nice change of pace from the other stuff we were watching. So I, I would recommend it. Does it uh, connect at all to Let's Scare Julie? Have you seen Let's Scare Julie from 2020? I have not. I saw, I think I got maybe a press release about it, and I kept thinking, is that that movie that everyone talks about? And then I had to Google Let's Scare Jessica to Death and realize that, no, that's quite a different movie. Um, I've never seen Let's Scare Jessica to Death. And my guess is the the two have nothing to do with each other. Oh, I doubt it. Yeah, Yeah. I doubt it. Yeah. so it's a mood. It's more of like a. You said it's more of like a moody, yeah. creepy, creeping yeah. red kind of tone piece. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we watched the boy, ah. which I've seen way too many times, and I'm a big defender of. I even wrote an article maybe two years ago about uh, the lead performance in that movie, um, Lauren Cohen. I was blanking on her name. I was wanting to call her Maggie, but I think that was her name on The Walking Dead. Um, yeah, it's just, it's one of these PG 13 January dumps that I think is way better than its reputation. And I don't think it's helped by the fact that last year, a sequel came out called Brahms, the boy two, that was widely hated. And I think that's going to do more to damage the reputation of the original boy (laughs) than anything else. Um, it, it was, it was different because the kids were down here watching it with us. You know, I programmed mostly kid-friendly movies for the entire day until we got into the nighttime when the kids would go to bed and then we could watch, you know, more kind of R-rated stuff. Um, so the boy being PG th- PG-13, I was like, well, I guess they can watch this with us and they showed interest in it. Uh, it's a little intense for kids and they were pretty freaked out by it. They're still talking about Brahms two weeks later. Uh, or one week later, I guess it would be. They're the only ones. They are the only ones still talking about Brahms a week (laughs) later. Um, But uh, I really like that movie. I think it's, I think it's a fun kind of just creepy doll movie for two thirds. And then in the last third, I won't spoil where it goes, but it takes a new direction that makes it a different movie completely. And I, I really like the movie that it becomes also. So I, I'm a big fan of the boy. I don't know what your feelings are about it. I have never seen it. Okay. Um, I, I think I was put off of it by, I think red letter media reviewed it. Oh. Uh, and I was put off of it because of that. Um, I obviously, you know, certainly disagree, even though I do enjoy their channel quite a bit, as I've written about in the past, I do disagree with them quite often, uh, more, most specifically on The Last Jedi. I think their their stance on The Last Jedi is batshit crazy. Are but they not, they're not fans of The Last they Jedi? Are, they are very anti-Last Jedi, um, which Last Jedi is one of my favorite Star Wars things ever to exist. So, Were I, they fans of Rise of Skywalker? No, 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 no. They enjoyed... 
they enjoyed uh, Force Awakens because it was mostly just A New Hope again. Um, but they did not. They did not enjoy. They they they. This is not neither here nor there. But they they riff quite a bit on the uh, Ryan Johnson subverts expectations thing. It, it seems that they kind of just got stuck on that and sort of just went with it. But um, but anyway, no, I uh, never gave the boy a chance just because I think because Jay Bauman said he didn't really like it, and I kind of thought, well, it's a January dump and whatever, so I never watched it. But I was also interested in the series because Brahms, the boy too. Um, the name Brahms, uh, Patrick. I, I know. I know you know this, obviously. But just for those of you who, for those of you listening who don't know this, um, Brahms is the town next to Silent Hill. Um, in the Silent Hill canon. Wow. Brahms is the neighboring town, um, technically still a part of Toluca Lake County, but very, you know, <laughs> different, distinct in its own way. So I was really actually looking forward to watching the sequel, mm-hmm. Brahms. Maybe there'd be like a Silent Hill connection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like maybe that's not the case. Sadly, no. There's It has very little to do with Silent Hill. I won't say nothing <laughs> to do with Silent Hill, <laughs> but very little to do with Silent Hill. What's the Silent Hill, Silent Hill, what's the sequel? Uh, Jesus, it's got one of those Silent Hill Rep- Extinction, <laughs> Silent Hill Redemption, yeah. Silent Hill Rejuvenation, Silent, Silent Hill Origins. For Silent real, Hill. what is no, it? No, called? it's called it's called Silent Hill Revelation. Revelation. Okay, there we go. I knew yes. it sounded like a Hellraiser movie, which is also weirdly enough for a survival horror video game fan like me, uh, the name of direct-to-video CGI Resident Evil movies too. I think there's a or there's a game called Revelation. I can't remember. Resident Evil fans, uh, fix me in the comments. But Revelation seems to be yeah a popular sub subtitle. Um, no, I am. I, I I keep thinking. I keep telling myself I'm going to write an article about Silent Hill Revelation, um, because it is terrible. But um, I need to get myself there. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to muddy the Silent Hill waters. I no. want to be. I want to be pro Silent Hill. <laughs> Silent Hill. It's given me so much. <laughs> um, the last movie I'll talk about is the last movie that we watched in our marathon. I didn't like time out the marathon. I just made a list of stuff that we were going to watch. And I was like, I kind of eyeballed it. And I thought that looks about right. But we got to the last movie, which was going to be the craft. And I realized we still had about two hours left. And I thought, well, that's a problem. So the kids came down and they wanted to watch the last movie with us. So we threw on Hubie Halloween as our closer. Mm. And I don't know if it was the fact that I'd been up for 36 hours or that I had watched 13 previous movies, but I was very entertained by Hubie Halloween. Um, I will admit that Adam Sandler's character is difficult to understand at times because of the vocal affect that he's taken on, but I thought the movie was sweet and funnier than a lot of his... I haven't watched all of his Netflix movies, but I've watched a couple of them, and I don't remember laughing at any of them, but I laughed more than once at Hubie Halloween. Um, I thought some of the supporting actors were really fun to see. Um, I thought the Harley Quinn joke was really funny. Which, apparently, that newscaster, one of the newscasters got fired for doing I that. I just saw that, yeah. Gosh, I hope it was worth it. <laughs> That's... <laughs> That sucks. I feel terrible that she got fired. Yeah. Hopefully she gets hired somewhere else where she can do the news dressed as Harley Quinn. Right, exactly. 
Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, that's it. I, I just, I was surprised. JB wrote an article on Hubie Halloween this week and didn't totally condemn the movie. He said it was kind of a mixed bag that he liked certain aspects of it, but he felt it was kind of lazy and he didn't understand the affectation that Sandler was doing. And I can't disagree with any of that, but for whatever reason, I was on board with Hubie Halloween. I saw it too. I, you and Adam and I were texting about it and kind of just sort of cautiously being like, I don't know. I liked it. It's, it's, it's kind of like, right. It's okay. If I like this, right. It's like, yeah, it's okay. Um, I mean, there's lots of things about it that are crazy. The Julie Bowen character just, you know, there is a element of think piece fodder you could do about how she's just for some reason, just obsessed with this, this person. But I, the, the, I don't know. I'm a fan of the water boy. So like the, 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 the affect didn't kill it for me. Um, I, I didn't really, I, it's hard for me because obviously I understand why people would have a problem with it. I understand why all these things are problematic, but like at the same time, as you said, if you're watching it and you're just, I, the, the, the there was a couple little beats in there. The, the, the one, soup stuff I was, I was laughing at so much for some reason. <laughs> When he, he just gets at the end of a thing, he just opens his throat. It's like, what's up, soup? Like, I was just like, that, that made me Saba, saba, who? Like, saba, 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 who? Um, when we, uh, when he opens the door and the kid starts screaming, he's like, ah, he's like, what are we screaming at? Like, I just like little timing bits. Like, it just kind of reminds you of kind of Adam Sandler. You right. know, I have a friend, a friend and I used to teach with, um, hi, Dan, if you're listening, uh, who we would we would always do Adam Sandler voice sort of in the hallways between classes just to amuse ourselves as we're kind of you know waiting for class transitions and just we have a do a do have a do you know and I texted him when I saw Hubie Halloween I was like you gotta watch Hubie Halloween it's a shabba do do movie and <laughs> it was it certainly is and that's the only way I can really describe it I can't say it's great I, you know, I certainly won't condemn it but it is a shabba do do kind of movie because you know like you said I. I I, I, I don't know. I am very pro Adam Sandler. Now. Like I, I've really come around on his Netflix, especially now since he looks like Nostradamus, like when it comes to the Netflix <laughs> streaming stuff, like, because yeah, right. this is what, six, seven years ago yeah. that he signs that deal. Yeah. Like he saw the writing on the wall, man. He's the smartest guy in Hollywood. Um, so I, you know what? Hell, Netflix, give them a hundred million more dollars. Let them make six more Hubie Halloween's. Who cares? Hubie, a very Hubie Christmas. Why not? I would see a very Hubie Christmas. I would totally, you know, Hubie saves Valentine's Day. Like, sure. <laughs> well, uh, you know, let's not go crazy. No, sorry. Because sorry. a big part of the appeal of Hubie Halloween is just how much Halloween stuff is in it. So it's like, oh, I would see myself coming back to this movie every October. And like the Shaquille O'Neal gag, oh, like, is so weird. But like, you, I don't know. I, to me, I was just like, I don't know. Here's some points for that, I guess. I don't. Th- th- this movie had me like throwing up my hands in spite myself because I watched it on like in like the middle of an afternoon. And I was like, you know what? I enjoyed that, and I'm not gonna try to overthink how much I enjoyed it and just say, ah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. The Shaquille, I don't understand his fascination with casting Shaquille O'Neal in movies. He keeps insisting on doing it. Uh, it's fine, but that was not you know my favorite stuff in the movie. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it too. And that's kind of where I came down on. It was like, it was a nice way to end this marathon was just like kind of mindlessly pleasant and, you know, mildly amusing, uh, didn't ask a lot of me, but gave me something in return. I was down with it. 
the Ray Liotta you brought up earlier. Oh is yeah, that, he's that, just on another planet. What is he doing? I don't want to see him in uh, in misery based on what he does in Hubie Halloween. Hubie Halloween, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. Again, I just I I'm just gonna have to. I can't argue with him. I can't. I'm 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 tired of arguing with Adam Sandler. Just let him stab do if he wants. Like that's <laughs> he's not hurting anybody. I mean, he's hurting a lot of people probably. But. What? <laughs> what's the uh oh gosh one of his netflix movies i didn't see i saw the ridiculous six i saw the one with him and spade like the do-over or something like that but he's got a he's got a i saw murder mystery meyerowitz meyerowitz uh, no and meyerowitz stories was him and him and ben stiller okay murder mystery is netflix what the hell is it it's like he's an agent it's not Sandy Wexler, Sandy Wexler. Oh, okay. Sandy Wexler. Sandy uh, Wexler. You know. I, I made it through five minutes of Sandy Wexler. Cause it is a huge flabbity do movie. Now, uh, uh, Wikipedia screw me here. Cause I, I saw partial filmography instead of full filmography, which is why I did not see. Got it. That movie. Um, I, yeah, no, I never saw, I never watched Sandy Wexler. I clearly, it's two hours and 10 minutes, by the way. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> which might've been a reason why I didn't watch Sandy Wexler also. <laughs> Uh, but it's a major flabbity do movie. Is um the Hotel Transylvania? Are you are you have you seen those? I was considering putting those on for, for my five year old because I thought maybe he would enjoy them. Are they good? I think they are certainly good enough this time of year. Um, my kids liked them, you know, when they were a little bit younger. They might still like them. I don't know. We haven't tried to watch them. We we went to see the third one theatrically. The first two we watched at home. Um, but they liked them a lot at the time and in the month of October, I like them better than like the, the animated Adams family movie that came out last year, which we just watched a week ago. And I really was not crazy about, I would take any of the hotel Transylvania movies over that. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think they'd be good for him. All right, cool. Uh, what about the wrong Missy? Should I show him the wrong Missy? (laughs) He might like the wrong Missy. I kind of liked the wrong Missy. Uh, Hubie Halloween. His name is Hubie Dubois, <laughs> Hubie which Dubois. is just like Billy Boutet. By the way, like, when the movie started, I thought like his name really was Hubie Halloween because <laughs> Julie Bowen's last name was Valentine, and I just assumed yeah. everybody was going to have a last name named after a holiday. Oh, see, there's your sequel though, because her last see he has to do Valentine's Day movie yeah. because her last name is Valentine. But it needs to be called like Hubie Halloween saves Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Like June Squibb, like like what's the conversation with June Squibb about like you know hey you want to you want to play my mom and Hubie Halloween? Like, Do you sure. mind wearing this t-shirt? Do you mind wearing these t- the t-shirts? I mean, you know, again, it's not high art, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, but, my kids didn't ask about any of the t-shirts. Like, why yeah. does it say that? Because those yeah. would have been hard to explain. But yes, yes, they everything else was relatively family friendly. I don't know. And Maya Rudolph, like. I don't know. Oh, I forgot about that bit too. Just, you know, just, let's just, I don't know. I enjoy my Rudolph. Anyway. I love that she's married to Paul Thomas Anderson and then she'll come do, you know, three days on Hubie Halloween. Yeah. Or, or the judge in the good place. Like she'll just show up and just be like, (laughs) I haven't seen the good place. I love the good place. Yeah. I can't support NBC at this point. So that's a good point. I guess. I don't know. Oh, well, some shows I won't get to see. Oh well, <laughs> It'll just, you'll just you'll just have to watch the fifty thousand more that will come out. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> Darn it. Uh, let's talk about Psycho. 1998. <laughs> we're literally 45 minutes into this episode and we haven't started like, talking about what we're here to talk about, which right. is Psycho 1998. We had yeah. a different show planned, a show that we're still going to get to. It doesn't have to happen during Scary Movie Month. And then it was like one in the morning and I was trying to fall asleep and I couldn't and I was listening to a podcast and somebody brought up Vigo Mortensen. And somehow that brought me to Psycho 1998, and I popped up in bed, and I was like, wait a minute, what about Psycho 1998? <laughs> and, and I uh, woke up to a text message saying, <laughs> what about Psycho 1998? <laughs> so I was excited to talk about this movie once it dawned on me. I can't believe it took us 10 years to get here. Yep. Um, I tweeted out something that kind of tipped my, tipped my hand as to how I feel about this movie. So I will let you start on your feelings about Psycho 1998. Uh, yeah, I knew you were going to do that. All right. <laughs> I, okay. I like Psycho. This movie is Psycho. Right. I like this movie. The end. That Thanks w- for listening, everybody. Uh, this was sure, so easy. Make sure you uh, subscribe. Uh, follow us on Twitter. <laughs> No, um, I am a. I have a deep fascination with this movie, and I think there's. I'm really glad that you wanted to talk about this because I think there's a lot to get into with it. But I, I had to come down on its side. It's kind of the Hubie Halloween principle, where it's just like I don't know. I guess I like it. Like I, it's another movie where I kept trying to talk myself out of enjoying it. I have lots of problems with it. I think there's lots of things that are fascinating and weird about it. But just as like Gus Van Sant being like, you know what, I'm going to do this. The other Psycho is still there. I can still watch it whenever. I can watch this one I want to, too. I like it. The end. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at, too, uh, which is going to be a problem for people listening to this because they're <laughs> yeah. frothing at the mouth right now, hoping one of us would hate this. Crazy. Because ultimately, we're we're arguing with the movie's reputation. Yes. Um, and I know, like, JB, you know, holds the original Psycho very close to his heart and taught it for many, many years and has seen it probably 200 times and has told just the story. To be, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but just to be clear, everybody listening, I know that JB should be here for this show. Okay. Oh no, that's know- not, that's not what I, why I'm saying it. I'm just, no, no, no. I, I'm saying that I know that JB is the psycho guy on the site. I'm here to offer maybe a little bit of a different perspective, but JB is by far the psycho scholar among us. I don't think he could see past his own hate to talk okay. about this movie. Okay. He has told the story before about how he went to see it and he threw up while the movie was playing. Like he, you know, jokes that his body rejected it like a bad kidney and he <laughs> had to go to the restroom and throw up during this movie. So, um, Which I understand. Yeah, I know that people hate it. Um, I will admit that I don't totally get it because as you said, it's psycho. It's not psycho, right. but it's psycho. But it's, it's psycho. It's the story of Psycho, and it's the dialogue of Psycho, and it it's the, the music of Psycho, and the aesthetics and visual and language of Psycho. Psycho. So if you like Psycho, there's something here for you. The performances are different. Yes, which uh, which and and to be clear, I like this movie. I have lots of notes. I have lots of problems with the movie, and the performances. Some of them are among them, but. It is very, very difficult to separate. I mean, I was really having like an existential crisis watching this movie. That's what this movie does. Yeah, because I was like, I cannot say 
that Psycho 1960 was photographed better. I mean, we can talk about color versus black and white. I can't necessarily say that the characters were better, although we can talk about little character details and switches. Like, overall, I'm fighting with myself going, and probably in the same camp that JB is in, which is just like, look, I the only thing I can do is say, I really love the original one so much that my... The only thing I butt up against is just, I don't like that there's another Psycho. And after that, I don't know where my criticism really is. Well, here's the thing. If there had to be another Psycho, I'm glad that it's this. I'm glad that it's not what we would typically get out of a remake, which is it's Psycho for 45 minutes and then Norman Bates gets killed in the shower. And we go down a completely different path for the second 45 minutes or we spend a lot of time on Norman Bates's backstory. You know, there was a TV show made about that. Um, There's all kinds of things that ways that it could have been approached. And if we're going to remake psycho, I'm glad it's this, there's a really great trailers from hell hosted by Ty West, where he talks about this as the only true experimental art film ever put out by a studio. And he says, uh, I can't remember if he quotes it or if it's somewhere else that I saw that Gus Van Sant basically said, well, just because an experiment doesn't work doesn't mean it's not valuable. I have that quote written down. Yeah. That, that, that Gus Van Sant almost knew that the experiment couldn't work when he got universal to spend $60 million to remake psycho as his follow-up to goodwill hunting his biggest commercial success ever as a director. He got nominated for an Oscar movie makes over a hundred million dollars. What are you going to do next? Talk about a blank check movie, right? I was about to say, yeah, to borrow a phrase. uh, Yeah, it is a blank check movie. A hundred percent. And, and Ebert too, in his review, um, which I mean, Ebert did not enjoy the film at all, but he said the movie is an invaluable experiment in the theory of cinema because it demonstrates that a shot by shot remake is pointless. Genius apparently resides between or beneath the shots or in chemistry that cannot be timed or counted. Right. And I, I understand his point. I, and I totally a hundred percent agree with that. I'm watching this. I'm going, how can an actor delivering the same lines in the same way, rub me the wrong way? How is it possible? What part of my brain am I exploring when I'm trying to come up with an opinion or a take on this movie. And I, in that, as you said, it is valuable, right? It is, it has value. It made me think about movies in a different way than I usually do. And that, how rare is that? So yeah, (laughs) I mean, it it has value. It's such an interesting examination of what makes a movie work of what cinema is that it's more than just this shot leads to this shot leads to this shot. Um, and again, there are changes made in the movie that we can talk about. Um, <laughs> you know, he makes some, he, he can't help but be Gus Van Sant at yes. a few key moments. And I think that's part of the problem too, is that they're at such key moments. They're during the murders. Right. Um, that they the, call the biggest, ones. the biggest ones, the flashes of clouds and things like that. Right. Um, murders. There's. I, one of my notes is like that this is more like the 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 subtle stuff in Hitchcock's film is more explicit in this one. The masturbation and all that is more explicit. The nudity is more explicit. Um, but go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, that you know, this movie tells us what would it be like if we saw Anne Heche's butthole and right. the masturbation is a problem. Uh, 
because, as I've heard argued before, if Norman Bates had masturbated, he wouldn't have had to kill Marion Crane, right? That the whole point was that it was sexual repression that leads to him murdering her because he can't bring himself to desire her. He can't bring himself to have her. He has to kill her. Uh, but if he masturbates, that should have taken away all those homicidal impulses. Now, we can argue about that or whatever. I don't know that the masturbation adds anything except, as you said, to make it more explicit that he desires her sexually, as though we couldn't have figured that out in the original 1961. And I will say, I did rewatch the original right before, um, just as a point of comparison. And I understand when, when people say to me, well, the, the masturbation is implied um, in, in the Anthony Perkins performance. I don't think it is. I mean, what's that? I don't think it's implied that he's masturbating. I think, I think that if you were to tell me, well, he's masturbating right there, I couldn't disagree with you, but I don't necessarily think it's implied in terms of the language of cinema necessarily. Yeah. I don't necessarily think, I mean, his head moves a little bit. Like, and as you say, if he was masturbating, you wouldn't need to do this. So I don't know necessarily that I agree with that, with that take. Um, you had said also like, uh, that you hold psycho very close and you love psycho. And so that's part of why you like this movie. And interestingly enough, Erica was sitting next to me as I was watching this and she also teaches psycho. So she watches it two to three times a year for the last, you know, 20 years. Um, and she could not get into it. Everything about it bothered her because she has the original in her head right. on a loop. And so she's hearing line deliveries come out differently. And she's thinking, oh, why is Viggo Mortensen so bad in this movie? Why is he a cowboy? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have a whole thing about this. Because <laughs> why does Anne Heche have an umbrella in one scene? Like, the Gus Van Sant thing that he chooses to inject weird variations in the characters at, like, key moments. Like, the fact that Mortensen is, like, instead of being, like, a matinee idol, Sam is now, like, a cowboy or... It, randomly in the car buying scene, she just pulls out this pink umbrella. Like they're just weird choices like that, where you choose to stand out in a certain way. And that's another thing, another layer. And I, I know this is a tangent, but like another layer of this, of an attempt to critique or to analyze this film is Van Sant is being so incredibly slavishly, like recreating everything exactly. And a artist then chooses variations right. and you assume that he's choosing variations very specifically. He's doing it for a reason. He's having Julianne Moore walk into the into the the hardware store with headphones in, and like she's like a metalhead, I guess, and she takes the headphones off. I, I I am very curious about why he chooses these specific changes to make, um, and that I guess is the experimental part of it. I don't know. <laughs> Does the movie need to take place in 1998? It does not, but it really wants you to make sure you know that it does. Right. I mean, that's a decision that's made very early on, and that impacts a lot of the changes that happen throughout the movie, whether it's the amount of money that she steals or Julianne Moore listening to a Walkman. Um, <clears throat> these changes are made because, hey, it's 1998 and things would be different. Right. But had the movie just been set in 1960, we wouldn't have had to do any of that. And I mean, the little other changes, you know, for example, the fly is, is foreshadowed. There's that close up of the fly in the hotel room in the beginning. 
the um, the hotel, there's the, the sound design in the hotel and the being is a lot different because you can hear people, you know, having sex in the other rooms and stuff, which I guess if we didn't know that this was one of those motels. Yeah, I wasn't motels. sure if I was hearing things. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely in there because okay. I watched it with, I watch it with headphones. OK. Um, oh, like and, Julianne Moore. Uh, like Julianne, like, well, you know, like Lila I Crane. In, I had to get into the spirit of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, like he does, yeah. I mean, he does. Obviously, there's the, the the slow push in that Hitchcock could not have done over the Arizona, of right. the Phoenix skyline that he does for real. And so, at the beginning of the movie, I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, he's just like turning everything up. He's going, well, Hitchcock couldn't do that shot, so I'm going to do it for real, and I'm going to make this part more explicit and that part more explicit. And um, I, 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 again, I go back to this thing of what decisions are, what decisions are in service of updating the film for a quote-unquote modern audience because in a bunch of the things i read it was talking about that well this decision was made to make so and so feel more modern you know the a casting of Anne Heche, for example is like well she's more sort of a typical of a modern you know late 90s movie star personality um or you know vigo mortensen is more of a late 90s leading man or et cetera, et cetera. you know um and and i'm thinking okay well he's, maybe he's updating archetypes um, so there are functional changes or aesthetic changes. I'm thinking, okay, well, this is an update for a mass audience. But then at the same time, he's Gus Van Sant. He is a, at heart, I think, probably an independent, low-budget experimental filmmaker. So he's going to throw a bunch of weird stuff in there. Um, and that's what really had my brain kind of going back and forth. Like, which ones of these are intentional? Which ones of these are for the service of populism? Which one of these? Which of these are the service of I'm an experimental art filmmaker who has a blank check to do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. I know everybody's going to watch this movie, so here's what I choose to do. Um, my question here is, do we know 100% where Van Sant comes down on this movie? Because there's conflicting contemporary quotes in 98 at the time. There's modern quotes from him where he talks about it as like, a, well, you know, if I didn't do it, nobody else, you know, I did it so nobody else would have to or... Um, I'm wondering what his thoughts, what his real thoughts are on this film. Does he, did you think he considers it a success? I don't know for sure. Um, I think no matter what he considers it a success, even as a failure, it's a success. Right. Uh, because even as a movie that doesn't work, it's a success because it proves the point that he is sort of seemingly trying to make although they couldn't advertise that at the time you know in the marketing they couldn't say i want to prove that it's it's the music not the words you know that make a movie um so he has to just say well i'm remaking psycho shot for shot and uh, this is what it would look like today and in color and with a slightly more graphic shower scene and um there's that added line with the the mr cassidy talks about the playground there's that thing they added apparently hitchcock had it in the original script where she says i'm going to spend the weekend in bed and he says it's the only playground better than las vegas right um van sant adds that back into the movie right which sure <laughs> i actually saw this movie twice the day it opened oh wow uh it was like december 8th maybe 1998 and went to the first show with my dad um, because he was a fan of Psycho and hey, this is out and it's new and I want to see it. So we went to see, I went to see the first show. And then that night it was a friend of mine's birthday. He worked at the movie theater. So he got us all in for free and it was like, what are we going to go see? How about Psycho? It's new. And so I saw it twice the day it opened and then not again until DVD. Like I didn't keep going back to see it, but I did see it two times the first day. And I've always held the position of like, I don't know. I don't hate that. Um, 
And in fact, I kind of like it. I kind of like it, A, as a weird experiment on what makes a movie work. And B, I just like it. Like, I like watching it. <laughs> it's the story of Psycho <laughs> populated with a cast that's amazing. Yeah. Every no, small part is like, oh, and there's James Remar, and there's James Legros, and there's Robert Forster, and there's Philip Baker Hall, and there's Rita Wilson. I mean, every single person that pops up is like somebody you're happy to see show up in a movie. For sure. It's a Lost World Jurassic Park reunion. Uh, That's Julianne Moore and Vince Vaughn. I didn't even put that together, but I would rather watch this than Lost World any day of the week. Sure, for sure. Yeah. No, I, I... All right, we I, we're all over the place here, but so Adam tipped me off to um, uh, a story I have to share, which is that apparently, did you do you, you listen to the King cast, right? I do not. Okay, so um, two of the guys from Birth Movies Death have the King cast, which is a podcast about Stephen King, and recently they had an interview with Thomas Jane, um, and Thomas Jane, although they were not recording at the time, Adam tipped me off to this, and then I went back and listened to it. Um, at the time, they were not recording yet. They were sort of BSing before the show. And then they turned the recording on because they realized that Thomas Jane was just going to start talking and mm. they weren't going to do an introduction. Um, Thomas Jane is dating Anne Heche. And they are apparently quarantined together. And so the hosts of the show gave us a little intro to this. And they said that when the topic sort of offhand of the Psycho remake came up with Thomas Jane whom the hosts did not know was dating Anne Heche, nor did they know she was in the room at the time, um, brought up the Psycho remake, and apparently from the other room they hear Anne Heche yell, we were making art! <laughs> Which tells me, one, Anne Heche seems pretty cool to hang out with. Sure. Um, two, she is... I guess, proud of her participation in the Psycho remake, which is totally fine. And, and should be. And should be, yeah. Um, and which I, I sometimes I like when I hear that the creators or creatives in a project that is sort of critically reviled uh, believe in it and they're not ashamed of it. And that, that, that kind of wore my heart a little bit. Um, oh, yeah. It would bum me out if she now was like... Yeah, that sucked. Yeah. Right. Oh, what a mistake. Oh, I wouldn't do that again today. Like, well, why not? Why not play Marion Crane in a remake of Psycho? Right. Um, and I, I, I was trying to figure out as I was watching it, why does why is this movie so automatically hated? Why, when it comes up to people roll their eyes? I mean, I was losing Twitter followers just for tweeting out that I didn't hate it. Yeah. I, I think that that's just the nature of fandom. I mean, we've talked about that quite a bit in terms of remakes, in terms of reimaginings, people like, people like, I think the same, but different. I think people have this, thing where they want the same thing that they like but they want it to honor the original thing um and but then they aren't okay with it if it honors the original thing but not the things about the original thing that they like about <laughs> it. um last jedi <laughs> last jedi um <laughs> they you know and I think with the Psycho remake, I wonder if Twitter had been around at the time, what the response oh my God. would have been. I mean, could you imagine? <laughs> it would have melted down. Is there another? I mean, the question is this, and I'm very pro-remake. I, I really am. I'm, I'm, I probably had an ironic film school douchebag in, in my early 20s where I was like, fuck remakes. But like now I am very pro-remake. Remake, remake everything. Who cares? Because you know what? The original one doesn't go away. Right. And I'm more of a fan of remaking movies that don't work. Um, which, like, for example, the original Ocean's Eleven. I actually don't 
think that's one of the you know I don't think that's one of the Rat Pack's stronger movies. I actually really don't like it very much. I love Ocean's Eleven two thousand one. I think it's a great great movie. I think it's a great remake. Um, so I'm more of a fan of remaking movies that need to be remade or would benefit from a remake. But doing something like this is just something that would never occur to me. And I was thinking about it like a stage play. I was going, well, you know, actors, you know, Othello has been performed all over the world, mm-hmm. you know, a hundred thousand times by different actors offering different interpretations, giving different performances. But it is also so much more than just the dialogue or even just the music. The aesthetics are the same. I mean, in terms of like, like lens size, like in terms of like it's modern film with like 60 cinematography the, the blocking, the framing, the, the just the, you know, the sort of flat, stagey angles for like the rear projection and all that. Like the way that Hitchcock had to shoot things by necessity, because of their budget and just because of the technology at the time. West is, or excuse me, West, Ty West. Um, wow, what <laughs> Ty West did this? Gus Van Sant is doing it on purpose, and he's doing it as a choice, which looks it looks weird in color because I, you know, you, we could argue about this, but I, in, in in some ways, color offers more depth. Um, of an image or, or at least a different kind of depth to an image. I think black and white cinematography and color cinematography are, you know, they approach lighting very differently and, you know, things like that, where to put the camera. Um, but that was the thing that was so strange to me because I'm watching it. And I'm like butting up against it, go, especially in the the net craning scene um, when Norman, you know, when uh, uh, Arbogast is looking at the, um, he's looking at the registry and yeah. there's that close up of Anthony Perkins and his neck just cranes over. And it's just, you're just looking at his Adam's apple for 45 seconds. <laughs> and it's such a weird shot. And I'm thinking to myself, well, obviously, you know, I see Vince Vaughn do the same thing. And I'm like, well, we have to keep that. And I'm like, well, why do we have to keep that? Well, because of, you know, because that was the way Hitchcock framed it. And you know, this is a shot for shot remake. And I'm thinking, okay, well, why did Hitchcock frame it that way? Well, you know, there's a bird motif and blah, blah, blah. And it's close up and he's creepy and all that. And then I just went down this rabbit hole in my head of like, did he have to do rear projection? Well, he chose to do rear projection. I'm pretty sure the office outside the uh, the um, the scene where the Hitchcock uh, uh, outside of the office, outside the real estate office where she works, the um, where the Hitchcock cameo is in the original one, yeah, where she's walking through the doors. The, I, I think he might have used the same process, like the, the same footage, the same. Uh, oh, okay. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I could be very wrong about this because I, I imagine that's probably like front screen projection. Um, and there's that thing where there's a Hitchcock lookalike yelling at Gus Van Zandt, right. which is very cheeky and stuff like that. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm asking myself, you know, which parts of this remake are necessary? Which parts of this remake are by design? Which parts of this remake does he does he say, I'm going to match this exactly? And then again, I go back to this problem of, but then why vary? Why make him a cowboy? Right, right. Why add that extra line? Why? I mean, to me, Anne Heche is d- delivering, a, giving a very different performance. Um, Julianne Moore makes a choice where, okay, I'm going to make Lyle Crane a little bit more aggressive. I'm going to make her, you know, because that's Julianne Moore doing her late 90s Julianne Moore thing, right? Um, which is fine. Julianne Moore is wonderful. Um, you, Vigo Mortensen, sure, whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, well, is this just Van Zant? Um, updating the archetypes as i said before well you know and hey isn't really like i mean i mean obviously she's she's beautiful and everything like that but like maybe not like the same kind of janet lee kind of like pinup glamour star or uh vigo mortensen isn't dressed like a matinee idol or julianne moore is going to be kind of a little more of an alternative kind of you know and each one of them approaches their performance in that way i think Anne hey is a little bit more she's a little bit flippant She's a little bit more kind of aloof and condescending, I think, in this role. I don't know if you agree. 
in terms of like as opposed to the the the, the Janet Lee performance. Like, w- would you agree that it's one of the only performances that's very different? I don't feel like it's that different, although I know that she did approach it differently. I mean, I know just from reading about it, she had decided to, like William H. Macy, sort of very famously wanted to do it like Martin Balsam did it. He was like, well, if we're going to do this, let's do this, and I'm just going to kind of copy what came before me. Um, Whereas Anne Heche was like, no, I'm going to reinterpret this performance. Um, But I don't see it as that much different. Maybe it's just performance style, just in terms of um, just the era, era being era. different. Um, sure. In terms of how, because a lot of the dialogue is that way too, where it, it feels a little bit clunky in the modern context, in modern being 1998. Hmm. Um, when when that dialogue is out of its time, it feels a little clunky, but it goes with it because it's all of a piece. Um, I'm not saying Anne Hayes is bad. I, I mean, I enjoy her in sure. the movie. I just think that I think to me anyway, it's the one performance, especially having just watched the original one before this, it's the one performance aside from the accent uh, with Mortensen um, that is to me notably different. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think Vince Vaughn is doing his, he's, he's not imitating Anthony Perkins, but I think he is making the same choices as Anthony Perkins did, if that makes sense. Like he's not delivering the lines exactly the same way. I actually really hate the way he delivers the um, a boy's best friend is his mother line because I love the way that Anthony Perkins says it, um, and he uh, Vince Vaughn kind of throws it away in this, which is fine because that's a choice. But I actually really don't like that. Um, but I think he's I think he's doing what he thinks is the same thing. If that, I don't know if that makes sense. I think when we talk about when we talk about the psycho remake and we're talking about why people hate it and we're talking about whether it succeeds, whether it succeeds or fails. um, I think we're ultimately talking about the Vince Vaughn performance. (laughs) Like I really think the movie succeeds or fails on the basis of that. And he's not Anthony Perkins. And Anthony Perkins is, you know, totally iconic as Norman Bates. I'm actually really glad that Vince Vaughn was cast as Norman Bates because I think it's like the last thing you would expect. I think he could have chosen somebody who's much more similar physically and dramatically to Anthony Perkins, who would have delivered a performance that much more closely resembled the original Anthony Perkins performance. And maybe people would have liked the movie better, or maybe it would have just, they would have just said, it's so pointless. It's so pointless. It's just a bad imitation, but they wouldn't have called it out as being a terrible movie, or they wouldn't necessarily say that they hate the movie the way that they do now. And I think so much of that has to do with Vince Vaughn, who's much more of like a jock and it doesn't make sense there's such a disconnect between who he is physically and his particular performance kind of fast talking, uh, not a, not a, not a car salesman, but you know, he just has that Vince Vaughn thing where he's going to keep talking until you agree with him. Um, look at him in any of his comedies, you know, in the way that he has a way of just dominating the screen because a physically, he's just a big guy and B he just kind of will steamroll you until you get on board with whatever it is that he's talking about. Um, 
And he's not exactly able to do that as Norman Bates. And so physically, he doesn't match the type of Norman Bates. And then dramatically, he's doing something different. I agree with you that he seems to be making similar choices in terms of, well, Anthony Perkins did this, but he's filtering it through his own weird Vince Vaughn-ness. Yes. I like the weird performance. I I won't say it's a... I don't know that it's a good performance, and I think some of that has to do with some of the anachronistic dialogue, and it just doesn't make sense for some of these characters to be talking the way that they do because they're using dialogue that made sense in 1960. Um I think about when he's talking about, you know, they cluck their tongues. It's like, well, that's not yeah. an expression that anybody says in 1998, right? But we're going to use it because, hey, that's what was in Psycho. And I think he has a hard time wrapping his mouth around some of that outdated dialogue. Um, I like the performance in the same way that I like the Psycho 1998 remake, which is like, I don't know how much of it works, but I like it for how weird it is. I like it for the fact that it doesn't work. I think where it where it misses is super interesting. Um, I would much rather they go with somebody like Vince Vaughn than a much more obvious. I don't know who in 1998 would be like a much more obvious pick. I'm trying to think of who the who the, yeah, I don't even know who the big stars of. were at that time that would have like made sense. I mean, I mean, it's Matt Damon, right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, he kind of does that next year with Mr. Ripley, right? Um, right. But he's doing, I mean, if I'm looking for a, maybe somebody who's got a Boy Scout quality, right. maybe if I'm Gus Van Sant and I'm thinking, well, this will be, because that's even more of a blank check. That's even like. Right. I mean, I guess. Reuniting I those two in, a, yeah, a year after Goodwill Hunting. Um, right. Whereas if he would have gone with Ben Affleck. Everybody or, would be yeah. like, wait, what? And that's kind of what he does by <laughs> casting Vince Vaughn. Vince, Vince Vaughn, Vaughn. Yeah, right. is much more of a Ben Affleck type. Um, I don't know how you feel about the Vince Vaughn performance. I, I mean, I agree with you that it is weird. I mean, Anthony Perkins, again, I, I, I mentioned before, there are, there are a few line deliveries that I butt up against because, again, it's just so... Like, like the, even the even the thing where he talks about hating the smell of dampness. There's this the great scene in the original where Anthony Perkins is eating the candy, and he's kind of bouncing back and forth talking to the private detective, and he ta- he just throws away this line about like, you know, oh, I just you know I change the sheets no matter what, and it's just a uh, dampness. It's just like a I don't know, like a creepy smell. And he just walks into like, and for some reason, you know, some lines just stick in your head, and line delivery stick in your head. And when Vince Vaughn says it, and he says it in the same way, very, but but like I, I butted up against it so much because it was a line I was waiting for. Yeah. And when it didn't come out the way I expected it to, I was like, oh, screw that. And I had the same thing with the boy's best friend and his mother. I love the way Anthony Perkins, you know, collects himself when when marion crane asks if he has any friends and he kind of like he, you can see that the wheels turn he kind of takes a moment to himself he's a little embarrassed to say this he composes himself he says well a boy's best friend is his mother you know he, he does that vaughn throws it away a little bit more which is a choice obviously um but again and this is this is my point with all this rambling is i think that it's about what we expect versus what we actually think we like if I were to say, well, he didn't deliver the line the same way, that makes it bad. I have to think back and go, wait, is that true? Do I not like this performance because it's the same thing but different in just a way I'm not used to? Or is it actually legitimately, objectively bad? Mm-hmm. And 
again, we go back to the beginning of our conversation with this, which is this movie blurs that line so much that it has that's that's what gives it its value. Yeah. Like I had I had this problem the other night. Right, we go back to Aaron Sorkin. I don't know if you saw HBO Max did this the West Wing reunion. They did this reunion on stage. They did a great episode of the West Wing, and they and they re, they filmed it again on stage with all the original actors. And I, you know, when I was a kid, I loved the West Wing. I watched it a billion times. And I know the episode that they did. I know that episode by heart. And when it was the same actors delivering the same dialogue, but often giving it a different inflection, I was like, ooh. That's not right hmm. because I watched it so much that the beats of the performance and even the inflections and intonations of the lines, I had come to grow such affection for that when they did it differently, same line, same actor, I, I, I was like kind of freaking out a little bit. And I was like, and I kept asking myself, why, why did I feel that way? And that's the essential question with this movie. I don't think there's a bad performance in this movie. I think, well, I mean, you could argue Viggo Mortensen. I don't know. But I, <laughs> I think that they are just different. They're just different. And what does that mean for us? I don't right. know. It's such a movie to talk about. It's, uh, I think, again, I, I think people could make the claim that Vince Vaughn is giving a bad performance. And I think part of that is because this was very early in Vince Vaughn's career. Swingers was just two years earlier. He hadn't done a whole lot, and he hadn't really grown into himself as an actor, I don't think, um, at this point. You know, I think it was something like Brawl in Cell Block 99 a couple years ago that I finally saw where I was like, oh, holy shit, Vince Vaughn. Because otherwise, it's like, I've enjoyed Vince Vaughn in movies, I've enjoyed him in some of his comedies. Um, I think a little Vince Vaughn goes a long way in a lot of those comedies. So I don't always enjoy Vince Vaughn in the comedies, but uh, I've certainly enjoyed him and stuff, but he was just such an unconventional choice to play such an iconic part. Any actor would be fucked trying to inhabit this role because it is so closely associated with the actor who gave the original performance. Anybody trying to play Norman Bates is going to be, well, you're not Norman Bates. I don't care. Oh, that's a, Even Daniel Day-Lewis, right? Well, he's our greatest actor and he's going to play Norman Bates. And still, we might give him the benefit of the doubt, but then we would watch it and be like, oh, yeah, but... And we would talk about all the ways that Daniel Day-Lewis kind of got it wrong. But somebody Would like, Daniel Day-Lewis have learned to be a psycho killer in order to prepare for the role? Or would he have just bought a motel and run it for a year? <laughs> he would have murdered his own mother. <laughs> just so that he could talk to her dead body. He definitely would have worked at a motel for a year just so he could really yeah. <laughs> know what that's like. Um, <laughs> I just think Vince Vaughn was never really going to get a fair shake. And I, I, I don't, I don't even know if the performance works or not. I think that people could argue that it's bad. And I would say, yeah, you're probably right. And if other people say, Oh, but I really like it. I would say, yeah, I'm with you. Um, and I don't even think Viggo Mortensen is bad. I, he's he's making a choice, right? He's doing something kind of weird. Um, but it doesn't bother but again, me. The the but again, we go back to this thing where the character nuance is turned up to eleven. Where Sam comes across, you know, in the original film, he's kind of creepy. Like he's kind of creeping on Vera a little bit, and he's kind of Vera Miles. Um, he's kind of um, you can tell that he's in that sixties way, kind of the same kind of character where like Viggo Mortensen is constantly like putting his arm on 
Is that a thing in the original? I'm trying to remember now where he's like putting his arm around and or uh, putting his arm around Julianne Moore and she keeps kind of giving him death stares and all that. There's a little bit more of an explicit characterization in that, which I think is just like, I don't know. My David Lynch brain is like, well, what's the American hero? He's a cowboy. Let's make him a cowboy. You know, like, <laughs> right. okay, sure. You know? So I don't, yeah, I agree with you. I don't even know if it's bad. I just know that it's weird and that should be on the poster for this movie. <laughs> I love the poster for this movie. It's a good poster. Yeah. The trailer is fucking crazy. Um, I, have, I did rewatch the trailer. I should rewatch the trailer. It's, uh, and I, I only rewatched it because I was watching the Ty West commentary over it for Trailers from Hell. And as he points out, it's super 90s. They try to make it like a weird seven kind of a thing. <laughs> like, uh, it uses yeah. a lot of the, you know, the, the, like, the two or three shots that Gus Van Sant cuts in during the shower murder or during the Arbogast murder. Um, it uses a lot of those shots, including one shot of Rob Zombie. Really? It just cuts in all these weird images. Yeah, it's it's more of like a weird Nine Inch Nails music video for Closer. Like, they were certainly trying to sell it as, like, the cool, sexy psycho. Uh, and I don't know I that, yeah. if it's the cool, sexy psycho or not. It's not. It's very much not. <laughs> it's not. This movie is not. Ah, oh God. This is so weird. This is so weird. This must be such a frustrating podcast to listen to. I'm. I'm. I'm sorry, everybody. I, because, again, is it? It lives in the middle. It is Schrodinger, Schrodinger's movie. It is. It is good and it is bad. It. The performances are good and they are also bad. The cinematography is good and it is also bad. The fact that it's in color is good and also bad. Like I. I the fact that it's set in 1998 is good and also bad. We lose all, and I think this is why Gus Van Sant wins, because we lose all measurable criteria when we're talking about this movie from a critical perspective, because he can hide behind, and I say hide behind not in a cowardly way, but in a creative way, he can use 1960s Psycho as a defense for so many things. Do we judge how do we judge the quality of a shot for shot remake? Like he's, he's right, literally, right. he's literally introducing new aesthetic criteria for, for film criticism. He's saying, you know, do we judge it for how close it is to the original? Do we judge it for its variation on the original? Do we judge it for, you know, how the, 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 the pacing, do we judge it for the editing? You know, I, I, I literally look at this and I say, remove your thoughts about the original psycho, watch it as a movie. And then I go, no, you can't do that. Right. You can't do that with this because it's not like we're watching Ocean's Eleven or even like Dawn of the Dead. Like you can watch, you know, yeah. Zach, um, uh, Snyder. What's his name? Zach Snyder. <laughs> How did I forget the visionary director of our time? Um, <laughs> Release the what's his name cut. <laughs> you can you can watch those movies and go, oh, it's a remake of this old movie. Even like a far, even like Let Me In. You know what I mean? Or yeah. even like um, what's the Force Majeure remake? Uh, uh, downhill. Downhill. You can watch a English language remake of a foreign film, even like Old Boy. Like you can watch those movies and judge them as movies because yes, they're based on these things, but for the most part, they are, I would say at least fifty percent different scripts, probably if not you know seventy to eighty percent different. But this movie, you have to pair it with Psycho. You have to bring your background knowledge of nineteen sixties Psycho into the film, and it is a fascinating to me experiment in as i said before nostalgia in the way our brain associates something uh, i would say often conflates something good with something familiar 
Um, it's, it's a fascinating experiment in just how a movie made almost 40 years after the original using the aesthetics of the time would look and feel. Mm-hmm. I think it's very disorienting to watch this movie in color. Um, I, I think Psycho, it's Psycho in color is weird. I don't think that Psycho in color would be weird if they shot it like a 1998 film, right? If they shot it like seven, you know what I mean? Right. Like if they did it like that, but they use the flat, as I said before, those sort of flat stagey angles, those kind of medium lenses and things like that, that it looks like it was shot on the set of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Um, that is weird and also interesting. <laughs> Do you like the use of color in the movie? I mean, uh, sure. I, I mean, there's, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I miss, you know, like, okay, so like, obviously one of the more famous visual contrasts in the original Psycho is the bras, right? When Marion, you know, decides to steal the $40,000, there's a very noticeable change. She changes into a black bra, right? She changes into darker clothes. This is, of course, symbolic, et cetera, et cetera. In this one, the color the she's wearing, I think she's wearing like a green bra or something like that. It's very different. I don't know. I don't think there was even a color change at all. But for for um, all intents and purposes, the color change is not as dramatic and right. it is not as you're not you're not pointing at it as much. Um, but then again, he chose not to do that explicitly, but he chose to have him jerking off. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it's so strange. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Do you like the use of color in this movie? I like the way that the color looks. I don't know. You know, I don't think he particularly uses color to enhance anything um, with the exception of maybe the red blood. Is the film lit the same way? Is that maybe, maybe it's kind of lit in a similar way, which gives that color maybe less vibrancy than it would in a modern film. I don't know. Go ahead. No, I don't know. I don't know. The color looks kind of weird. I, I, I can't tell if I was just watching, like, if the Blu-ray transfer is just bad or not. But I was like, was this shot on 16 millimeter? Did he? Because it's very uh, grainy. Is it grainy? I watched it. I mean, I watched it on Stars, I think. Um, and I have to admit, sorry, everybody, I watched it on my laptop. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> the ner- with headphones. It looked fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, the color almost looks at times like that sort of mid eighties Ted Turner colorization where he decides to go. And maybe that's again, just my brain saying, but psycho supposed to be in black and white. And I'm looking at this image that's in color. So clearly this color has to be artificial. Uh, this has right. to be digitally done or something like that. Um, I'm looking at just like screenshots right now. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Looks like a movie. <laughs> That should have been on the poster. <laughs> looks like a movie. We're talking about stuff that should have been on the poster. Yeah. It looks like a movie should have been on the poster. It looks like a movie. <laughs> um, I, I'm fascinated by talking about it. I, you know, and the fact that we can talk about it, because like what the remake of the thing, well, I guess it's a prequel to the thing, right? But basically it's a remake of the thing. There's countless remakes that we could talk about that we would see. And so, like they remade Point Break. I never saw the remake of Point Break. I probably never will see the remake of Point Break, right? It's a, it's an asterisk. It's like, yeah, that one got remade. And we can watch it and we can say, I liked that or I didn't like it. And that's probably where the conversation is going to end. And that just is impossible with this movie. 
Yeah. Uh, you could say I liked it or I didn't like it, obviously, but I don't think the conversation ends there because then it becomes a question of, well, but why did you like it or why didn't you like it? And let's investigate. Well, it was pointless. Well, what remake isn't pointless, right? It's uh, already a great remake of Point Break, and it's called The Fast and the Furious. Exactly. I even know why they did this. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, no movie is pointless. You know, I, I, I push back on that every time my students are like, oh, I didn't like it. Oh, it was pointless. That's like their big critique for any movie. You know, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. It was pointless. Like, yeah, okay. It was pointless. You're right. Um, so is the remake of Psycho pointless just because it's shot for shot, just because it tries to adhere as closely to the original as possible? No, I would argue that that is the point, right? And we're talking about all the nuance that that, and that creates. So the fact that we can have as much dialogue as we are having, as we could continue to have about this movie, to me gives it a tremendous amount of, as Gus Van Sant said, value. Um, but I also just like watching it. Like, it's not just like I like it as this weird metatextual treatise on the, 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 the value of the remake, on the nature of the remake, on the nature of cinema. Um, I just like, I enjoy watching it from beginning to end. But seriously, what's with the sheep in the middle of the road? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. No, I, I mean, I, I, sees like a girl in like S and M gear for yeah, a second. Yeah. That shot's in the trailer. I know. Oh, of course it is. Thanks. 1998. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I agree with you. And honestly, I'm sitting here and I'm like, I might watch it again. I'm like, <laughs> like I'm thinking, I like, want to watch it with know? both commentary tracks. There's two commentaries on the Blu-ray. One Are is, really? well, one is from 98 with Gus Van Sant and Vince Vaughn and Anne Heche. And I've listened to that one before, but not for 20 years. Cause when I first got this DVD, I listened to it. I remember, um, because I remember Vince Vaughn trying to sound very serious and very actorly, um, and then there's another commentary with the editor and Rob Galuzzo that I want to listen to. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I don't have that. I need to get the Blu-ray. I don't have this one. But I, I yeah, I would totally rewatch it. And again, the Psycho is still there. I still, <laughs> I still love yes, Psycho. Yes, absolutely. I right. Psycho. I can still watch Psycho. You know, the same way I, I get it. You know, sometimes I want to watch Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. Sure. Right. Uh, you know. But if, if anything, this remake only makes Psycho better. It doesn't take anything away from Psycho. It doesn't, yeah, and I agree with you. It enhances it. It makes it more of a, of a piece worth studying. I mean, the fact that a filmmaker would, you know, not to use the phrase again, but use his blank check on something like this is so fascinating. I, I, I don't know. Again, I know this is probably infuriating to listen to, but I just, I, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. All I can do is be fascinated by this movie. It yeah. is such an interesting experiment that makes me ask myself new questions about what makes something good or bad. And that's all you can ask for. Yeah. I like it. I like it. It's good. <laughs> it's good. I like it. Anyway, thank you guys very much for listening. Thanks for talking about this movie with me, Rob. You know what sucks? The Lion King 1990 or 2018. You know what? You know, hold on before we wrap up. Yeah. Here's a great example because I take flack for this. I think that Lion King remake is garbage and it's be garbage because there's no colors. There's no, uh, 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 facial expressions. The actor, the actors all sound bored. It's this, I've gone off about this before, but that's a almost shot for shot remake. That should get shit. Not psycho 98. Psycho 98 <laughs> is interesting. Uh, Lion King 2018 is cynical bullshit. Yeah. 
Take that, Disney. I haven't seen it, you know. You're fine. And they could they could so easily have hired some music video director who would have made Psycho in the style of its trailer, who would have remade Psycho in this way that is, you know, young, sexy Psycho. And they didn't. They hired a, a true artist, and this is what he came up with. And how can we ignore that? I don't know. It's so weird. <laughs> that movie manages to make Donald Glover and Beyonce boring. Uh, yeah. No, I don't see myself ever seeing it. Don't watch it. You're fine. Watch Psycho 1998 again. I probably will. Do it. Anyway, Do thank it. you guys for listening. Keep the seven word reviews coming. Uh, follow us on Twitter at FThisMovie. Email us at FThisMoviePodcast at gmail.com. Like and subscribe, rate and review if you haven't done so before and you're a fan of the show. It helps us out. It helps raise the visibility of our show. We will be back with more Scary Movie Month podcast goodness in the days and weeks to come. Thanks again, Rob. All right, buddy. I'm going to put my Walkman on and head on out. Listening to FS Movie.